1: to the rotowire dfs podcast mma edition covering ufc 196 i'm your host josh hayes joined as always by john littering you can find john on twitter at j-o-n littering and you can check me out on twitter at josh hayes fs john welcome to another mma pay-per-view heavily anticipated and slightly tweaked modified uh main event for march 5th how
2: are you doing here i'm doing good uh yes definitely modified and um You know, there's no doubt that, you know, this um, McGregor-Diaz fight, you know, it doesn't have the long-term, company-wide implications that um, the originally scheduled McGregor and Rafael Dos Anjos fight would have had, but, I mean, for such a short-notice fight, I think this is about as well as the UFC could have done as far as drawing, you know, interest, especially from casual fans, Mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, there's not... I'm, I don't think, and I think you're going to see this more and more on cards that McGregor fights on. In this, in this card, you have a second title fight, but once you get past those two fights, mm-hmm. it's not a card that I think would be particularly popular with casual fans, right. and I think that's what you're going to see more and more on McGregor cards. I don't think you're going to see the UFC stack the cards, right. because I think they feel that McGregor is getting, and ha- actually has gotten already, to the point that he can carry um, a card by himself, then, you know, that's pretty much proven to be the case.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there as well. Those two standalones, it's, well, even if it was just McGregor-Diaz, and we had to settle for that, UFC would sell well on this pay-per-view card because it is McGregor, so they can take all the, the grinders, the people, you know, fighting in the in, in the middle, uh, you know, parts of the uh, card and in between, and, sorry, I just set my alarm for this show and then didn't turn it off. <laughs> so, um, you know, this is a, like a, a great way for them to sort of advance some players upward and downward uh, within the organization while still keeping the panache uh, that they like to sell uh, a UFC pay-per-view event. So uh, without further ado, we'll jump right into this here. And, you know, really quick, uh, we, we can talk about this after I run down the scoring and the and, and the, the the notes that we uh, want to talk about for on DFS MMA on DraftKings. Um, but very interesting to hear the, the list of names of people who turned down the fight on short notice, too. I th- I'm sure you took note of that. And uh, that was particularly interesting to me because there's a lot of people who like to talk the talk, but got the short notice call and did not walk the walk. So uh,
2: Yeah. I For those of you who don't know, the list reportedly includes um, Jose Aldo, mm-hmm. um, Frankie Edgar. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not sure the deal with Aldo because of what happened in the last fight between him and McGregor. Right. But I have a hard time believing that Frankie Edgar wouldn't have taken this fight if he was physically able to.
1: Right, uh, that's he th- just
2: doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who would turn down an opportunity like this if he, you know, was healthy enough to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have, you know, a ton of guys who were clamoring for the fight. And I guess when it was all said and done, it pretty much came down to either Diaz or Donald Cowboy Cerrone. And I mean, both would have been good fights. Cerrone probably, I think, would have been a better fight in terms of actual, you know, the fight in the cage. Mm -hmm. And Cerrone is, as we all know, immensely popular, one of the most popular UFC fighters there is. Yes. But even Cowboy can't match what Diaz brings in the jawing and, you know, the press conference department.
1: Right. Yeah. And the actual, I think the, uh, maybe the, um, punch taking department too. There oh, is yeah. Ooh, he's, nope. He's, definitely. He's proved himself to be extremely durable and like almost like he, he looks like a robot. Like you, it's, it's very tough to, to see, you know, any of the Diaz brothers really get knocked out. So, um, very interesting. I also heard a Uriah Faber was rumored to, to get the offer there as well. And, you know, it's a lot of people who, who stepped up and had a lot of things to say throughout the process before and post Jose Aldo about how they felt like, you know, they deserved a the title shot at, you know, uh, 145 or 155 or wherever it may be. Um, and, uh, you know, they – so I was just, I was sort of shocked too to see the, the, the amount of people who – Took had a shot and passed before they got to Nate Diaz. Uh, so v- interesting stuff. Let's go ahead and talk about uh, what you want to do here on DraftKings. You're going to get a 50 k budget to set your lineup. And in terms of scoring here, significant strikes are worth a half a point. If you advance, it's worth one point. Takedown is worth two points. Reversal oral sweep is worth two. Knockdown is worth three points. Fight conclusion bonuses here. If you win in the first round, you get 100 points. Second round win is worth 70. Third round win 50. Fourth round and fifth round wins are worth uh, 40 points. And if you win by a lowly decision, you just get 25 points on DraftKings. Things of note here, significant strikes include any distance strike or clinch or ground strikes that are considered power strikes by official scores. So if you punch, kick, knee, elbow, any of those things, th- those are where your significant strikes, which are worth a half a point, are going to come in into play. Advances are usually everything that happens on the ground. Half guard, side control, mountain, back control. Once again, those are also uh, worth one point. So with that um, in mind, let's go ahead and move on to the fight and we'll start at the very, very top. Main event, welterweight division. This was supposed to be a title fight. It is no longer, but it's still almost as interesting conor mcgregor 19 and 2 versus nate diaz 19 and 10 DraftKings salaries have um, mcgregor at an expense of 11k it's no surprise nate diaz providing as much value as you can get in a main event at 8400 vegas odds have mcgregor listed at minus 430 Diaz plus 380 how do you have this fight being break, uh, broken down
2: well you know i think this is i think this is pretty clear in the sense that Um, you have a guy in McGregor who is a natural flyweight and you have a fighter in Diaz who is a natural lightweight and you have them fighting at welterweight, which is um, pretty much tells you the state of MMA these days in regards to what fights will be made at, you know, whatever weight is necessary, you know, to make a fight happen. Right. And you know McGregor, the Diaz is going to be a bigger the bigger fighter. Mm-hmm. McGregor is a huge flyweight. He would have been, and about it if the fight with Los Anjos happened, he would have been about an average sized lightweight. Right. But he is going to be small for the Walter weight division. Right now, and, D-
1: I don't think oh, we're really too consist concerned necessarily about him. Um, measuring up weight wise in the division itself, it just it's more interesting for this fight alone because we know this is just a fight about Nate Diaz and not a fight about where, where he's gonna, you know, go. Or well, maybe we don't know about what happens with him in the welterweight division. Who knows? Maybe he tries to collect three belts. Um, but you you are right. Yeah, definitely definitely advantage in the size department over to Nate Diaz. Now, um, as far as the rest of the fight goes, uh, almost everybody. You know, can, cannot really imagine a situation in which Nate Diaz wins. Are, are you in that camp as well?
2: Yeah, I would be surprised. And I think it's pretty clear to everybody that Nate Diaz's best chance to win this fight, and we say this all the time, right. is going to be to wrestle. And to, he, the biggest advantage he has is um, both Diaz brothers are very, very good submission wrestlers. Right and his Nate's Nate's wrestling is it's adequate I wouldn't say it's elite and as we know McGregor is really yet to face a really elite wrestler Chad Mendez is an elite wrestler mm-hmm. but um you know he took that remember he took that fight on short notice so I'm kind of giving him a bit of a pass there so I think it's pretty clear that Diaz's best chance to win this fight would be to try and get get this to the mat and hope for some kind of submission win but, and this is the reason I ultimately picked Jose Aldo over McGregor back when they fought, is I thought that um, McGregor standing in front of Aldo in a striking battle would be the wrong strategy. Sure. Of course, he knocked him out in whatever it was, 12 seconds, so it, it ended up not really making a difference. Right, right. But I think it's pretty clear Diaz's best chance to win this fight is to try and get this to the ground. And I just, I have, Nate does not, especially in a fight like this, main event, big spot, Nate does not strike me as a guy who is going to tailor his game plan to victory. Right, I expect this to be a kickboxing match, ex- exactly what I'm. everybody is probably expecting as far as two guys staring at each other, and just jawing back and forth and a lot of, you know, a lot of hysterics during the fight. I think that's what you're going to see. And even, and McGregor is, he's just, even though he's going to be the smaller guy, is there anybody in, I mean, maybe in, maybe a guy like Robbie Lawler who's bigger and, you know, known for his striking, but there are not many guys you would pick over Connor in a striking battle these days. Right.
1: No, I'm per- Um, pound for pound he's got to be you know top two top three striker um in the entire um you know ufc i would say the only two names that maybe come to mind to me are uh john jones and anthony pettis in terms of being on that level for striking and it's, it's definitely debatable if he continues to finish people you know ronda rousey style i mean you know pre holly Holm ronda rousey style then i think we have to put him right up in there, that category, and say who who may be the best, for, for all we know. So to be determined, I, I would say. I, mean, I, I
2: am totally under the impression that if McGregor is able to finish Diaz quickly, um, his next fight is... I think it's probably likely that they would go back to doing the Dos Anjos fight that was originally supposed to happen, mm-hmm. but I would not be surprised in the least... If this eventually led to a McGregor, Robbie Lawler fight, I know it sounds crazy it does. in the sense that even though this fight's at welterweight and DS is going to be bigger, there's not going to be a gigantic size difference. If you put Connor in there with Robbie Lawler, Lawler is going to look twice as big. Yep. Yeah. As McGregor, he's gonna look so, like uh,
1: Gray Maynard, Frankie Edgar. It's,
2: yeah. yeah, it's yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be massive. So, you know, I think this is I, Diaz's best chance is to try and get this fight to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he's gonna do it. I think this is gonna be the striking, jawing, kickboxing fight that everybody expects to see. Right. And if that's the case, you know, it, it's hard to believe that even a and to Diaz's credit, he looked considerably better in his last fight against Michael Johnson than anyone could have reasonably expected. Right. He won that fight easily against the guy in Johnson who is a really terrific striker, and that wasn't even close.
1: Right, so, it was surprising to me because everybody—
2: shocked. I was shocked at how easily—and that fight was entirely much like I expect this one to be— was entirely contested on the feed. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nate looked great. And uh, But I have a hard time believing that he's going to tailor his game plan to McGregor's weaknesses. Right. So, I, you know, I mean, I would I certainly expect McGregor to win. Whenever, outside of, like, Ronda Rousey, back when she was finishing women in, you know, 15 seconds every time out, it's hard to take someone... In DraftKings, who is such a big has such a big salary, mm-hmm. because if you know if you don't get the immediate finish, you're all of a sudden have such a lo- huge chunk of your you know of your budget spent. Yeah. So when these kind of fights happen, when you have someone with such a big salary, I tend to try to avoid it. But I have more com- I would put it this: way. I have more confidence in Connor finishing this fight quickly than i do of diaz as an underdog pulling off an upset
1: i i agree with you there as well i think that would be one of the more likely scenarios i don't think it's the actual likeliest scenario my personal take on this here is because we know nate diaz it is you know is like a machine from Terminator Two. He'll take a ton of ton of damage before you actually melt him down. I think this for a, a slightly different reason why it may make sense to fade this fight altogether because this could be like a third round finish for all we know. And then you've lost you know X amount of points for someone that you spent 11k on. Uh, you know, you don't get the 100 or the 75 bonus, what you're in the 50-point range in terms of bonuses, and you really do want, like, a home-run hitter who can finish somebody and knock them out in the, or finish them in the first round, if at all possible, if you're going to pay 11K on DraftKings. So that's sort of the way I, I'm looking out. We'll go through, uh, quickly through the fight metrics uh, on this because I think we've sort of re- already steered you in the direction of how we see this fight going, but just to, to reference to here, strike landed per minute. We know Nate Diaz, but, but believe it or not, it throws more volume in terms of striking than uh, Conor McGregor, 4.3 strike. Strikes landed per minute for McGregor: five point five three for Nate Diaz. Striking accuracy slight edge Diaz as well, forty five percent to forty three percent. So sort of lends itself what you were talking about with michael johnson sort of improving the volume and the accuracy on uh, on the feet and um, with the legs Strike absorbed per minute that's also uh in favor of nate diaz believe it or not 3.29 strikes absorbed per minute for mcgregor versus 3.02 for diaz and striking defense 64 percent for nate diaz versus 50 cent for conor mcgregor so conor mcgregor is sort of leaves himself out there um a little bit more and we know that that's sort of his game to stand right in front of you because he's so confident and being able to land the big punch, and it basically no one's been able to beat him since he's uh, made this run in the UFC. So we'll see if uh, that and, that ends up uh, uh, bearing uh, out and continuing here.
2: And McGregor has shown, you know, McGregor has shown that has he has a chin on him. In the Chad Mendes fight, yes, he got clocked pretty good quite a few times. He was
1: taking bombs on the ground yes. and laughing yep. at Chad Mendes, at and the same he time. held
2: up just fine. Right. So. Uh, you know, and Nate has never been known as... Heavy-handed a, guy. Yep, so, yeah. not... At, uh, yeah, He you know, he's a combination guy. He can land combinations. But he's never been known as a power finisher. So, I, I you know, in the preview article I wrote up that I have a hard time believing that... I think the, either submission or, you know, I have a hard time believing that Diaz is going to outpoint McGregor for 25 minutes. I just, you know, no, I just don't see that happening at all. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough, um, it's a tough setup for Nate. He, you know, it's, and I think one of the reasons, you know, and Dana White said today that McGregor was literally willing to fight anyone. they Once Dos Anjos dropped out, mm-hmm. he said McGregor was literally willing to fight anyone. Whoever they decided to put him in with was fine. And I, I actually, I assumed, I think this is the fight he preferred because he, I think he realized this was going to be a striking fight. And, you know, on su- on taking a new opponent on short notice, um, that's the kind of fight he wants because that's his trend. So I think this is the fight he was looking for.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there as well. For, for, for anything else other than entertainment value, we should see a lot of people taking punches. Just- Punches to the face, and more than oh, yeah, likely this, it's going this, to be. This
2: should be this should be very entertaining.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and just to put quick quick bow on the rest of the fight metrics here, one point two one takedowns for per three rounds for Conor McGregor. We know that's not really his game, but it's it's there. Versus one point nine two for Nate Diaz, so it does have more success. Takedown accuracy is much more successful, eighty three percent for Diaz versus thirty one for Conor, which really doesn't matter because no one really. I mean, unless Conor wants to pull a rabbit out of his head and all of a sudden you know display some ground game where we, we don't even need to really mention these numbers because we know that's not what he plans on doing we everyone feels like he you know thinks he's the best striker in the world and so far he's proven to be that takedown defense for um conor mcgregor 44 percent uh of of takedown stop versus 67 for nate diaz here's the other problem though with even if nate diaz decides to use his you know these fight metrics, which we all agree should be like, he should try to get this Conor McGregor to the ground whenever possible. There really isn't any submission attempts, submission attempts to speak of for Nate Diaz. Zero attempts at a submission per um, uh, f- three rounds in the UFC. So th- I was actually shocked to know this. Now, has not attempted a submission in the UFC at all versus one point five one Conor McGregor is not even a submission specialist and he's even got I you know at least one and a half attempts per three rounds in in his UFC uh, career. No, no, so, I, I
2: I think you have that. I think you're reading that backwards. Uh,
1: maybe I do have it um, backwards. Oh, you know what? I do have it backwards. You're right. It is. Uh, it 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 was actually um, right. I'm sorry, uh, Nate Diaz who has 1.51, and Conor McGregor, who, who has... Yeah,
2: I can never remember Conor once even attempting a submission as UFC career. Okay. He's never had to.
1: Right. You're, so actually have those 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 numbers um, reversed. Actually, yeah, it doesn't look like Nate Diaz versus his, reading the stats now that I ha- I've had these two columns a little bit mixed up here, um, that it's really an effective tool for him to go to the ground. But we also know that's the only... Uh, probably main hole that uh, that we've seen be exploited against Conor McGregor. So uh, something to keep in mind here. It should be a very entertaining fight. And uh, well, let's go ahead and move on. I think we're both both of our saying if we had to pick one of the two, we're picking Conor, but we don't like them for our DraftKings lineup. Uh, do you you agree with me there? Yeah, I do.
2: It's just, I don't like – it's just if you take somebody at that salary mm-hmm. and they don't get a quick finish, right. you're pretty much shot in terms of getting value out of anybody.
1: Yeah, you're going to have a very tough time – uh, making hay with your DraftKings lineup if the, if that ends up being the case. Let's go ahead and move on to the co-made event. Holly Holm, the preacher's daughter versus Misha, Cupcake Tate. I'm just sorry. M- Misha, both of these people need better um fighter nicknames <laughs> for some, for a title holder and
2: world beating yeah, like um, Holly
1: Home. And Misha, I mean, who who wants to be called Cupcake in a promotion or in a UFC ad or mm-hmm. anything else like that?
2: So I like cupcakes as much as the next guy, but
1: I mean... I'm, just not in, you know,
2: next size... Uh, 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 I, I agree.
1: Yeah, somebody's somebody's got to give her some advice as far as that goes. Um, so let's go ahead and take a look at the uh, the uh, actual salaries breaking down for this uh, fight. Holly Holm is 10-0 in her uh, MMA career. I believe 3-0 in the UFC. Misha Tate, 17-5. Jack King salaries for Holly Holm, 10.8K versus 8,600. Vegas odds had Holly Holm at 345. Misha Tate at plus 285. I'll say this before we get into this uh here john i actually bet misha tate at 285 and i'll be prepared to defend that Uh, but first i want to give you your your chance uh to break down how you see this fight shaking out
2: i actually believe it or not i see this as as far as from a breaking down standpoint almost identical or extremely similar to the mcgregor diaz fight uh, we all know Holly Holmes' kickboxing ability, and we all know that's her strength, and if Misha stands in front of her for any real extended period of time, she's in gigantic trouble. Sure. But I also have far more confidence in Misha than Diaz that she would be willing to do whatever—willing to change her game plan to try and win. Um, nobody— other than Holm who won benefited more from the Ronda Rousey loss than Mish Tate because the the UFC made it quite clear on numerous occasions that they had zero or at least very very little interest in running that back for a third time so pretty much Holm's home beating Rousey opened up the door for Tate to get another title shot here and Misha is, uh, you know, she gets she I don't think her I don't think she gets the credit she deserves because I think a lot of people, especially casual fans, focus on the fact that, you know, she's very attractive. And I think she doesn't get the credit she deserves for having a good all around game. You know, she's very tough. She's a respectable striker. Certainly not on Holmes' level, but I don't think that you would say it's a weakness of her game. She's a very, she's a good wrestler. She is a very good. She's very good on the ground. So I think there's more. Um, I think you can make an argument that Tate has the best all-around game in the women's division. Obviously, Rousey's a better grappler and Holmes a better kickboxer, but. I think Misha has you know the skills to do a lot of different things and she's been in big fights before and she never beats herself um you know she 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 she, she doesn't get she doesn't get flustered in the cage um and she she has a good all-around game so I, I home looks so strong against Rousey that I think you would have to pick her to. I would certainly pick her to. I'm going to pick her to win. Mm-hmm. But I, I like, I like Tate at that price. As far as both the DraftKings salaries and the Vegas odds, I think she has, a certainly has a better chance to win this fight than most people are giving her credit for. And if this is a kickboxing, you know, if this is another, just like the McGregor Diaz fight, mm-hmm. if this is a kickboxing match. You know, you have to pick home, right. but I certainly think Tate is smart enough to and willing enough to try and turn this into something else. Yeah. You so know, uh, go, go ahead.
1: Sorry, um, just to reference back to the past two fights with with Holly Holm that she had, uh, you know, like with uh, it was Raquel Pennington, and then who was the fight in between there? Um,
2: um I know Barry Renault maybe. And yeah. she, she didn't look good in either of them. Right.
1: This is my one thing i want to say and you know and even with the the fight against uh, uh jessica i that that uh, misha tate uh had she was taking damage in that fight she was getting outboxed which could clearly be a similar situation that she had um that she could have with with holly home she was running into punches and having uh problems and then you know she ended up um, landing a big bomb there in the end so we know that she has um elite power but if you just flipping back to the last two fights against Renault and Pennington I, I, I'm not totally convinced that that the Holly Home that we're seeing now is that is the you know world beater of Ronda Rousey and that's you know because she has a one fight track record of this and to me and honestly I felt like she lost the Raquel Pennington fight um, oh,
2: she, she very well might have. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There was a split decision easily. And if it wasn't for like a, f- a few last minute shots at the very end of the third round, which sort of swayed that whole situation there, I felt like I was like, you know what? I wonder what people are going to say, because Holly Holm is the only other player, you know, in in the in the women's division that, you know, was specifically brought and groomed and supposed to, you know, be, you know, tailor made to, to come down and fight uh you know ronda rousey which is why you start start her start with you know fighters that down you know even i think Ra- raquel pennington was like ranked 12th or something in the ufc oh uh, yeah i don't
2: if you know if that if you had to rank people today you know she she raquel pennington would be lucky to find her although she looked a little better lately she's she i don't even know if she's a top fifteen fighter.
1: Right, it's it is debatable. Although she had, I think she has a two fight winning streak on some revenge, so uh, revenge fights that have happened recently. But here, here's what I'm saying: you t- take the overall sample and then tell me where you would, if you, if we had to cover up the name of Holly Holm and where she would, where she would lie in terms of um, ranking rankings in the women's division. You have one great knockout finish and two very questionable um, wins against Renault and Pennington, which didn't really involve that much damage overall she got a couple of nice fights against I mean uh shots against Renault. but there was I never felt like Renault was in in trouble of you know well, Renault
2: stood around in the Renault fight Renault's problem was she stood around and did nothing right to the point that you thought she might have actually like been injured because she was so inactive
1: right I mean she was mostly moving circling the ring and you know throwing um you know mild counter punches here and there but you know, the, the the other disturbing part of the whole thing was that the fact that Holly Holm, you know, for, for all the, you know, chasing around that she did, she wasn't able to land that many shots against Renault for somebody who was supposed to be the, the superior striker. So I was like, you know, really shocked and, you know, obviously impressed when she did what she did against Rousey. But think about that. Rousey was the only person out of this fight that decided she was going to run straight through Holly Holm by hook or by crook. No one else has it, done that, and it's and, yeah, it's like
2: another those just dumb. It's just right. it's not what you do against with someone with the grappling skills Rousey has against the world champion kickboxer. It's just you know, it's just not bright.
1: Right. It's it's not, and so I don't expect Misha Tate to to fall victim to any of that. Uh, overall, she's shown herself to have a lot of versatility and uh, a lot of ability to you know to use as many tools and as she needs to get wins. So. Uh, this is why I think that you know. Here's the thing: if you if you pick Misha Tate and she wins, you're sitting very pretty with a lot of Absolutely. extra salary on DraftKings. Uh, so the the only the only problem is you just have to have confidence that she is going to win, and I don't think she's going to be that popular a pick because of the odds and because of the price. Uh, but taking a look at the, how the, we have the strikes breaking down. Strike landed per minute, four point oh nine for Holly Holm versus two point oh four for Misha Tate. Striking accuracy just thirty-three percent for Holly Holm. We told her we told you she was having trouble, you know, landing and hitting shots against Pennington and Renault and the numbers bear that out. Forty-three percent striking accuracy for Misha Tate. 2.31 strikes absorbed per minute for home versus 2.53 for Tate. Defense, 70% of strikes defended versus 51 for Misha Tate. So obviously, you know, the boxing skills are showing up in the defense department. Now we're talking about grappling here. Average takedowns per 15 minute, 0.83 to 2.31. So this is, the, the I think, where this fight may end up being decided here, John, is if Misha Tate can sort of impose her will in the grappling game and do something that most everyone has basically struggled to do because, you know, in three fights in the UFC – uh, Holly Holm has 100% takedown uh, accuracy and 100% takedown defense. Um, that's the hole that you sort of have to be, you have to be the first one to finally actually make that happen um, uh, against her. And she's actually a pretty big girl who's very muscular, and so is Misha Tate. But I think that, I think size and, and and strength-wise, I would probably give the slight edge to Holly Holm in, in this department. So if she can impose her will on the grappling side, and we know that Misha Tate has a great ground game, which is, to me, I think is actually underrated because, Her being the second best ground fighter in the UFC means nothing when you've gotten your butt kicked over and over by Ronda Rousey. People don't take notice of that, Uh, but I think it's actually a a legitimate weapon that she has to employ. So that's probably the department in terms of stats where we can see um, Misha Tate maybe um, um, make a difference in this fight, and if she's able to employ that, you'll be sitting very good in your DraftKings lineups. All right, we're going to move on to the next fight um, just beyond the co-main here, and we're talking about uh, Gian Vellante, 14-6 and 6 in his MMA career, versus Ilir uh, Latifi, 12-4 uh, is his record. DraftKings salaries have Vellante at 9,200 versus Latifi at 10.2K. Uh, Vegas odds uh, favoring Latifi as well, minus 210 versus Vellante at plus 175. How do you see this fight breaking
2: down? Uh, we've talked about this before on here. Uh, I'm taking Volante in this fight and not just because he literally lives around the corner. Um, he is and we've spoken about this before John Volante is a terrific wrestler. He was a great wrestler in high school. he was a good wrestler in college. He was a all-American football player in college. he got some looks in the NFL. He, the kid he's an all-around terrific athlete and he's been very inconsistent throughout his UFC career he has uh, he has a couple he has one his biggest win was against Corey Anderson in a fight where he looked very strong and then uh, he then he, he also has a couple pretty pretty bad losses on his docket and Volante is although he's a good wrestler he never ever wrestler wrestles he he never tries he just likes to stand and trade and he has huge power. He has a remarkable chin. Uh, he's he's taken. A, he's shown an ability to take a beating. And he, but Volante's biggest problem has always been his gas tank. If he doesn't win a fight in the first five minutes, if he, if the fight goes past the first round, he he was he's almost been. It's certain he's going to lose because. For the final ten minutes, he just gets his he just they, he just gets his brains beat in because he's so dead tired and he can't even move. And the interesting thing in this fight is that Latifi is five inches shorter. He Latifi does not have what you would call a typical frame for the light heavyweight division. He's short. He's kind of squat. He's very muscular, but kind of you know, like squat and you know, kind of. Kind of compact, maybe compact is the right word I'm looking for. And Volante, if Volante is able to stay at his distance, and like he did in the Corey Anderson fight, he threw a bunch of kicks. He just didn't get inside and allow Anderson to pepper him. I think Volante has a real chance to win this fight. And this is one of those fights I was I, I, how we talked about earlier. It's two guys who... Neither are household names, but the light heavyweight division in the UFC is so bad. You know the top, the top, the very top of the division is obviously strong, but the rest of the division and the depth of the division is so bad that if either of these guys, the guy who wins this fight, if the whoever wins this fight, if they can win this fight and then go in and you know their next fight. All of a sudden, you have a guy who's going to find himself ranked, like, 6th or 7th or 8th in the division. So you're just, you know, both of these guys are, you know, one, two, or three fights away from having bouts that, you know, will impact, you know, impact the top five and possibly the title picture. Which is, you know, it's kind of mind-boggling for a guy who, guys who... Have very little mainstream name recognition. Um, Latifi is coming off back to back brutal knockout wins, but they've you know he hasn't really fought anyone strong in his entire not in his entire career. He's never really faced anyone notable, and he you know Latifi is the kind of guy who you see him knock out nobodies, and you say to yourself, "Oh wow, you know this guy's really good." But then you think to yourself, well, you know, when he fights someone who's considerably better and has more physical gifts, you wonder if he's going to have an issue. And if there's, you know, for all Volante's flaws, he is extremely physically gifted. And, you know, he trains out of over here in Long Island, um, mostly out of Belmore Kickboxing Academy. But he does, he does work with uh Matt Serra and Ray Longo and all those guys and you know trains with middleweight champion Chris uh, former middleweight champion Chris Weidman. So you know this is one of those fights where I I and the line believe it or not the Vegas line at least is Volante's line he's becoming more and more of an underdog on a daily basis every time you look up and he finds himself a bigger underdog. So I saw the I saw the drifting salaries for this fight. And I immediately thought that Vellante was a good value play. And, you know, I openly admit that it's entirely possible that Vellante could just gas out. And by the time the first round's over, you know, he finds himself done because he just can't breathe. But I've, Volante, I'm have i betting on the combination of Vellante's athleticism and Latifi's, you know, the fact he hasn't really fought anyone good. So I like Vellante in this fight, but... um. Again, Volante is an underdog, but he is a guy who carries a significant amount of risk because he's been inconsistent, and it's always a risk-taking guy who has there are issues and questions about his gas tank.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you there as well. And if we talk about this, it looks like a little bit of a tale of striking versus grappling in terms of the stats and who can impose uh, which is which will upon each other. And I agree with you wholeheartedly with Latifi there. We take a look at wins against O'Connell, Stringer. Dempsey uh you know Diabate I mean you tell me the last time like any of those guys have been on anything more than an undercard or a prelim at best uh with these fights so not very impressive especially for a fight this close uh to you know the the, the main and the co-main so the know,
2: only guy sure. the only talented guy Latifi has fought in his UFC career was Gegard Musasi in his UFC debut in he April lost. 2013 and he lost right.
1: And Musashi,
2: includes, way, he, is, lost, he lost badly.
1: Right. Well, and Musasi, by the way, has been
2: a perennial, you know. Oh, that's um, what I mean. Musasi is obviously very good. Right. But that's the, in what I believe it's six UFC fights, Latifi has fought one guy who, who you would say, oh my, well, okay, well, this guy's really talented. And he got whipped. The total strikes in that fight were 80 to 13 in favor of Musasi. I mean, that I'm sorry, 80 to 18. And I mean, that's about as. Lops. For a full for a fight that goes the distance, that's about as lopsided as a total as you're going to see.
1: Right, exactly. So speaking of the striking and, and the the number two, let's get into these uh these stats here. Uh, John Volante there, four point oh nine strikes landed. Uh, per minute versus 1.91 for, for Latifi, so clear edge there. Striking accuracy, 48% to just 27%. So it just really isn't something that Latifi has in his toolbox overall. Uh, strike absorb per minute, you know that uh, Volante is going to leave himself out there because he's firing away 5.70 like, stripe, uh 5.70 strikes absorbed per minute versus 4.12 for Latifi. In terms of defense, you know John Volante has the edge there as well, 57% of strikes, strikes defended versus 46 for Latifi. On the grappling side, one. 1.91 um, takedowns per 3 uh, per 15 minutes per 3 rounds for Latifi so he has the edge over uh, Volante who is at then 1.01 look, then you take a
2: look look at the number of Volante's takedown defense <laughs> and how high it is
1: yeah exactly right so 89% uh, you know takedown defense which is going to be tough you know he doesn't take down a lot of guys overall and his takedown accuracy stinks for, uh, overall um, for Volante but he does defend it very very well. So, um, it looks like if he can you know, impose the striking well and, you know, do what he normally does, which is defend the takedown quite well, I just don't see why the you know, uh, the odds are this far in favor of Latifi. Overall. I would put it this
2: so. way, even if you're not totally convinced or sold on Volante's athletic ability and all his skills or whatever and you're worried about his inconsistencies, I don't really I just don't really see how you can make the argument that Latifi has done enough and beaten enough guys to be such a big favorite.
1: Right, I totally agree, and to be at a 10.2 salary uh, on DraftKings. So we're, right now we're talking about, what, $600 cheaper than Holly Holm? You know we're that's sort of reserved for the elite of the elite right now, and nobody thinks Latifi's that right now, uh you know maybe Vegas knows something that we don't in terms of this fight, but to me, I think the stats and the information that you and I presented all say we'd re- much rather have Volante as a value play for ninety two hundred and you feel like he's got doesn't necessarily if you told me this fight was even odd then i that I would much more understand, especially you know, it
2: the- it was funny when they first put up the odds for this fight I, when when i I saw the odds. Because they don't, they don't put out the odds right when the fight first is announced. They usually do for the main event fights. Right. But then they they, they, they don't put out the undercard f- fights until they get closer to the event. And I expected Volante to be something along the lines. I thought he would be an underdog, but not much. I thought maybe you know something like plus 115, plus 120, right. somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. I, I certainly didn't expect the line that you get now. And I certainly didn't expect... The difference in the in the um, DraftKings salaries,
1: yeah, very surprising there as well. So we're, I think we've presented. Um, at least one that we have definitely agree on uh, in terms of uh, value options for an underdog that you can book into your lineup and take that salary and run on to the next fight that we have here as well. And that's Corey Anderson, 8-1 and one in his MMA career versus Tom Lawler, 10-5. Uh, and five. DraftKings salaries have Anderson at 10.6K, uh, Lawler at 8,800. Vegas odds minus 310 for Anderson. Tom Lawler at plus 255. Corey Anderson on a nice little uh, run here has had some significant fights that sort of put him... Um, right in the mix of, you know, getting into the upper echelon in terms of top five fighters. If he, it keeps on this uh, uh, um, stretch here. I love the nickname we've talked about for both of these guys, but we've been sort of giving um, some criticism towards some of these, you know, weak fighter nicknames, but beast in 25, is pretty good for a nickname. Oh, it's, yeah. it's,
2: it's, it's very, it's very, you know, it's kind of like, a nickname you don't really want to take serious, you know what I mean? Seriously, right. mm-hmm. but it's pretty darn creative.
1: It is because I've, you know, no one ever has. Gone to from 24 7 to 25 8 until I've until I saw it's pretty pretty good, it is pretty creative. And Tom Filthy Lawler, at least you've got a name that says, Yes, okay, this is what I'm bringing to the table. All right, I'm gonna get down and dirty, and you can first
2: perfectly describes Tom Lawler's personality,
1: absolutely. And you know that you you could be in for a potential war, uh, in this fight. So, one of the more interesting cards on this fight, uh, which side are you going to be uh, laying your DraftKings dollars on?
2: This is see, uh, this is a fight. That I would avoid. And the reason is this these two guys, both Corey Anderson and Tom Moeller, have one common opponent, uh, one recent common opponent um, in common, and that's John Vellante, who we just spoke about. Vellante defeated Anderson by standing at distance and just beating him up with leg kicks. Loeller actually defeated Vellante after hitting him with one huge punch and getting a finish. But that was a fight that Volante was pr- firmly in control before before the one, you know, the one punch that changed the fight. Tom Waller has fought the vast majority of his career, middleweight. He is going this is much like we spoke earlier, he is going to be the considerably smaller fighter on Saturday night. And Corey Anderson is Corey Anderson is a wrestler. Uh that is Corey Anderson's UFC career is going to go as far as his wrestling skills take him. Uh th- for his UFC career, he's averaged 4.73 takedowns a fight, which is a massive number. I mean, that is about for a guy who has been in the UFC and had, you know, has more than five fights under his belt, that is about as big a number as you're going to see. And Anderson is he. He has a very he's a very strong guy, but he has shown no ability to finish fights. He you know he may beat you up on the feet you know he may be firmly in control, but he has known shown no ability to finish a fight. So why I think I would I would not take Lawler as an even as an underdog, um, but I wouldn't take Anderson either because. I see. Even though I see Anderson clearly winning, I don't see Anderson doing anything other than, you know, probably winning a decision, which is not really. When you're trying to make hay with your DraftKings lineup, that's not really what you're looking for.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there as well. So there's a couple of different you know, routes that you can take um in in this fight overall and for me personally um we can let them, the the numbers sort of bear them out uh right now Corey Anderson 5.37 uh strikes landed per minute versus Tom Lawler at 2.58 uh so clear edge in terms of volume striking accuracy for Corey Anderson 47 percent versus Tom Lawler at 44 percent strikes absorbed per minute fairly even among the two 2.42 strikes absorbed per minute versus 2.18 A defense also fairly even 57 percent to 59 percent uh strikes defended uh, for both these fighters now on the grappling side here so something a little about what you're sort of referencing uh moments ago takedowns uh, average per 15 minutes 4.73 for cory anderson versus 2.73 takedown accuracy 50 percent to Lawler's 30 percent takedown defense 50 to 53 fairly even only uh, tool missing out of or cory anderson's toolbox is the actual submission uh, zero sum, uh, submissions attempted in his nine uh mma fights versus 1.6 uh, attempted so there is a, a you know potential angle there for tom lawler so if we have to stake our claim uh final answer on this here do you roll with the expense of uh cory anderson um i don't personally feel like gambling on tom lawler but i think this is a sort of a, a heavy price tag to pay for somebody i'm not necessarily convinced can finish lawler in, in the first round so i would take um, anderson over
2: lawler Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't take either of them.
1: Right. I'm. I think we're both in agreement that we are not rostering this fight because it's just too much of a price tag for Bay for somebody who's not a a a clear first round crusher. Um. You know that we normally see at this. And this is sort of what you were talking about with the sort of card that we've had. They have to price somebody up. Um. In this. Uh, in the. In this fight. Aside from Holm and McGregor. And so you're sort of forced for them to taking bigger leaps of faith. Against guys that would norm, would not normally be priced in the 10k range on DraftKings. All right, let's go ahead and wrap up the final main card fight breakdown here. Women's Bantamweight Division on tap. Amanda Nunez 11 and four in in her MMA career versus Valentiva Shevchenko 12 and one. DraftKings salary has us fairly even. Nunez at 9900. Shevchenko at 9500. Vegas odds minus 150 to Shevchenko's plus 130. Who are you staking your claim in this matchup?
2: You know, this is a good fight. Two women who. Are have both um Valentina Shevchenko only has one UFC fight under her belt. She made her debut on very short notice and looked very strong in a win over Sarah Kaufman in December. Um, she Valentina Shevchenko, former multiple times, 17 times to be precise, world time world champion Muay Thai. Muay Thai champion, um, an elite striker, very, very technically sound striker. And um, Amanda Nunez, while not as technical a striker as Shevchenko, has huge power, has shown more in her UFC career than anyone could have reasonably expected. Nunez is 4-1 her UFC career. The one loss was to Kat Zangano. And even that was a fight where Nunez battered Zingano badly before Zingano recovered and got a stoppage win in the third round. So you know, if I had to take a, if I had to you know place money here, I would, I would certainly see say Shevchenko is the more technical striker, and I you know if this is turns into an extended kickboxing match, I would certainly give her the edge in earning more points, so to say. But I think Nunez has more power, and we don't really know much about Shevchenko's ability um, on the ground. You know, Nunez is very strong, and if she's able to get Shevchenko up against up against the fence and into the clinch, I think she could have real success. This is a really close fight, as the Vegas odds obviously indicate, and the DraftKings salaries indicate. Um, I picked Nunez to win. So uh, you know, I would I would roster her, but this is one of those fights I think where if you have a a bit of an inkling about either woman, I, I don't think there's I don't think there's a wrong play here. You know, both are the salaries are, are close enough that if you think one of them ha- deservedly has an edge, that you should just go with your gut and roster either of them. They're both fairly reasonably priced, so um, I think. I would. I pick Nunes to win, but again, if you're if you have your roster constructed to the point where you need a value play and Shevchenko's salary will fit in well, I certainly don't think that would. I I wouldn't call that a bad play.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there as well. Uh, for me, I think I have to to land on the side of Nunes. She's um fought some quality opponents and um has uh, shown up with you know she was actually in the mix uh for for you know. the you know, title... Title fight contention before she sort of fell. Hit a, oh, hit, she's
2: hit, not hit, far it. away. Nunez is no. If she can win this fight mm-hmm. and then win her next fight, I don't know who it would be against. Right. She is looking at a title shot.
1: Right. I mean, yeah. People remember she she started off as looking like as an absolute monster you know, just four or five fights ago. Before she hit a few speed bumps. There as well. I think if you would would have asked me if I was creating DraftKings salaries, I would actually would have priced Nunez just above ten k because she had some quality wins and some and some fought. Um, some some big of, big opponents and is probably the, the at least on the on the you know main card aside from the actual you know co main event and the main event somebody probably closer than anybody else to a potential title fight um, you know with uh, like you said maybe two more wins so we'll see how that ends up shaking out for me I'm booking Nunes in my uh, in my DraftKings lineup I like I think the price at 9900 is very fair especially with how we've broken down the three fights that we've looked for for value in this spot and you, this is sort of a, looks like a, a tale of you know, two solid strikers, you know, volume versus counter punching and accuracy, and, you know, and, and somebody who leans a little bit more in the grappling ground game with uh, uh, Shevchenko versus uh, Nunes, who does have a ground game of her own. Um, you know, although it isn't, um, you know, necessarily employed at a, at a, at a, at a, high rate. So we're taking a look at the strikes landed per minute, 4.17 for Nunez versus 2.13 for Shevchenko striking accuracy, 51% for Nunez versus 72% for Shevchenko. So like we said, not as much volume, but much more accuracy will sort of lends herself to the counter game strikes absorbed per minute, 3.43 versus 1.80 for Shevchenko and defense 44% of strikes defended versus 38%. So, A lot of these people are actually, you know, if you're taking um, um, over 50 percent of the punches, chances are some of these shots are going to land and could be something that ends the fight, which you you want, especially in in Nunez's corner with her throwing twice the volume on the grappling side here, 2.32 takedowns up 15 minutes versus uh, 4.0 uh, for Shevchenko. So clear um, edge in terms of, you know, wanting to get to the ground and, and employ that 41% takedown accuracy versus 44% for Shevchenko takedown defense. Also in favor of Shevchenko 75% on her end versus noon at 66. And then, uh, you know, the one thing that we talked about here that has been a, sort of a commonality with some of these fighters here, no takedowns attempted for Shevchenko. I'm sorry, no submission, Missions attempted versus a half a submission per minute. So neither one of those person's strengths, but at least it's actually been attempted on Nunez's side, whereas Shevchenko really hasn't displayed that skill set. So
2: this is is similar to the Volante and Latifi fight. You know, it's it's two talented fighters who have similar skill sets who don't have much name recognition in regards to casual MMA fans. But again, you know, it's a good fight and a close fight.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there as well, and I wouldn't be too surprised if it went one way or the other. But I feel good about the salary price and the chances that Nunes has to to actually win this fight. So I think you and I both are going to lay our DraftKings salary and our dollars on on that side, and um, you know, in a in a close fight where with, with a small favorite and feel good about the stats behind it all right that's going to wrap it up for the main cartons and we're going to go into the lightning round here john we'll start the welterweight division brandon thatch 11 and 3 in his mma career versus cr uh Bazard, Bazard Urzada. i had to practice that in the pre-show and i still semi-flubbed that so 21 and 6 and 1 for Bazard Urzada. orzada i'm I'm probably gonna just call him cr and maybe that's a little safer for me That's all right i'm not i'm
2: not picking him you can call him whatever you want <laughs> <laughs> we can
1: call him the guy that we're not picking, ten point nine K versus uh eighty five hundred for um Bazar Erzada. We don't have to keep pronouncing that name. We'll just call him uh not gonna, not gonna Be Here anymore. Uh, yeah,
2: no and then to Mr. Baharzada's uh you know credit, we've been wrong plenty of times, so he should definitely still show up on Saturday.
1: Right. We did put we we, we were all in with our mortgage and our car payments on
2: Ronda Rousey. Yes, I believe you know. we. I believe we said Holly Holm was going to end up in the hospital, so we were incorrect.
1: Right, and you know, it, it, we were right about we were half right in that aspect. Somebody did end up in the hospital. Somebody,
2: yes, someone re- needed facial reconstructive surgery. We just got it wrong.
1: Right, we just we were just wrong on the actual person in the hospital. So. Exactly. Right, you know, but, half, uh, half right. It, it happens. It right. happens. Absolutely. In, for- so thatch in a in a in a runaway. And I don't know that we can book him at ten point nine k, but if for some reason you have that salary available, this is probably as close to a um, you know one sided fight that we like uh, more than anything else. You, you yeah, agree with me there?
2: Yeah, I do. Thatch um, trained quickly. Trained out of the Elevation Fight Team in Colorado, which is one of the more up and coming camps in the world. It's you know camps like you know American Top Team and you know Greg Jackson and camp and the Black Zillions get all the credit. But the elevation fight team in Colorado is one of the rising camps in the world. And there are um, you know, Magny trains there. T.J. Dillashaw Whoa. moved there uh, a few months ago when he left Team Alpha Male. And there are people, both fighters and coaches who train with that team, who swear up, will swear up and down that Brandon Thatch has more natural athletic ability than anybody there. And he's been inconsistent, but he certainly has he certainly has the gifts and you know the physical gifts and there has been you know, there has been nothing i've seen at least from mr bahar Zada's uh, brief UFC career that would lead you to think that he would be able to pull this upset and i mean you have to keep in mind and you also have to keep in mind he hasn't fought s- since december
0: 2013
2: right no. so i he, you know he's giving up he's giving up athletic ability and he's, you know, he's, he's going to be rusty. So it's, it's a tough, it's a tough, it's, he's a tough pick. I, don't, I just, I wouldn't do it.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you there as well. So we'll pick that, but say, you know, you know, uh, disclaimer, very expensive uh, f- f- in your drafting salary. it's going to be very tough for you to roster um, some players of value. If you go to, uh, to that 10.9 K salary um, in his corner. Lightning round continues here. Welterweight division. Eric Silva eighteen and six versus Nordin Taleb eleven and three. DraftKings salaries ten point three k for Silva versus Taleb at ninety one hundred. Vegas odds minus two thirty for Silva versus Taleb at plus one ninety. Your pick here.
2: Um, this is just it has gotten to the point where myself and most other people have zero idea what to expect from Eric Silva. There are times he can look like you know at very least a top five caliber fighter, you know, at best like a title contender type talent. And there are other times like his last law, his last fight in August against Neil Magny, where he looked like he should be cut. That's how bad he was. So, you know, what, what guessing what you're going to get from Eric Silva on a night to night basis and a fight to fight basics is basically impossible. But, you know, he certainly has physical ability and Taleb is a guy who trains at a TriStar in Montreal, and like many TriStar guys, he tends to be slow and methodical, and you know stands around and doesn't do much, and it's not particularly entertaining to watch. So you know, th- I think it's pretty. Cl- I think it's pretty clear that Silva has to be the pick here, uh, you, with the disclaimer that you. Always have no idea what you're gonna get from them
1: yeah I, I agree with you wholeheartedly there as well it's s- slow and methodical it's fine if your name is GSP and you're from Canada you know you, you, um, in terms of your pace you, yeah um, even, even
2: Rory McDonald who trains there you know it, it, people forget you know people look at the Robbie Lawler fight and you know you say Rory's this vicious striker but you know that's not his game he's more of a he's more of a counterpuncher type guy. Right. And that's just the style they teach up there. It's just for us a hobby it's just a slow you know, it's just a slow countering type of style as opposed to, you know, a guy like Lawler who just gets in and just, you know, tries to take your head off immediately.
1: Yeah, I agree with that as well. So I think we're in in agreement overall on on this fight and how it ends up breaking down here. You can you can make a case for Silva, but it's very tough for you to um sort of predict what happens um in this fight if you feel like there's a hole and there certainly could be a hole for Silva you know you get to live at an a I know 100 price tag I personally don't want to pay 10k for the, the, that much of a wild card you know because it could easily land on one side or the other so I agree with your pick of Silva and I also um am going to be staying away from that fight in terms of my DraftKings lineup overall lightning round continues on to the middleweight division here Vitor Miranda 12 and 4 in the UFC uh his career versus Marcelo Guimaraes nine one uh, one in his MMA career salaries for Miranda ten point seven k Guimaraes eighty seven hundred Miranda at minus three ten Guimaraes at plus two fifty five for the Vegas odds your call in this fight
2: uh, my call here is Miranda and I actually you know he has a a fairly big salary but this is one guy on this card that I actually feel pretty confident in he uh, you know coming up that to back. Stoppage KO wins first against Jake Collar, who's, you know, isn't very good. But his last one against Clint Hester, who is kind of under Clint Hester's a great athlete, kind of underrated. You know, very impressive in that fight. And he's he's a very, very good. You Miranda, the big the prop Miranda, you you can't really project him as, uh, you know, a future top five guy or anything like that. Only because of his age, he's already thirty six. But he is a guy who is, you know, very, very good. He has huge power, great stand-up skills, a decorated Muay Thai background. And I actually, you know, despite his salary, I actually think he's a pretty good play in this fight.
1: Yeah, I could see that happening overall. Um, one of the few guys you feel like salary actually matches up with the Vegas odds and, and the, the skill set and reasoning for why you would want to pay up for a fighter who's in a, in a good matchup and is set to potentially dominate and, for, and hopefully finish this fight early for your DraftKings lineup, which is what you're looking for. So love the, the Miranda call. Featherweight division here. Up next, Darren Elkins, 20-5. A lot of fights over in his MMA career versus Chaz Skelly, 15-1 and one in his MMA career for him. Elkins at 9,300 versus Skelly at 10.1. Vegas odds slightly favor Skelly at minus 150 versus Elkins at plus 130. Uh, are you with the favorite in this fight as well?
2: Yeah, I'm taking Skelly in this fight, and Skelly has won, lost his UFC debut to Mirsad Bekic, who is prob would probably be have to be considered one of the top five prospects, pound for pound prospects in all of MMA. So you know, there's no shame in losing to him. He has since rattled up four, four, four wins in a row, and you know, Skelly again, not a guy more more of a uh, more of a wrestler. Um, Type Well, and again, not a guy who, you know, you would consider would you would think would overwhelm you, but just a guy who slowly goes about his business and picks up wins. And, you know, Darren Elkins, like you said, has a, has a, has been in a lot of fights in his career. He was never a very, never a great athlete to begin with. And it's, you know, Elkins at this point in his career is kind of getting by on just his toughness. You know, nobody's tougher than Darren Elkins. He could take a beating. He's He's been doing this for a long time. Um, he's only thirty-one, but he, you know, he has a lot of, he has several, you know, a lot of MMA miles under his belt. So, you know, I think I like Skelly here, and you know, again, Elkins, you know, he's not the kind of guy who I, I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't pick. I wouldn't pick Skelly for an early stoppage win. Elkins is just, you know, very, very tough. But I, I think he has to be a clear favorite.
1: Yeah, I, I'm going to agree with you there as well, and you know what, I, I was going to make a comparison to sort of where you hit that point um, in your career like BJ Penn where you get into your 30s and you've had some success, but now you've sort of turned that corner as the, uh, going down that hill where you, it's sort of a point of no return, but maybe we should save that for this next fight on tap to uh, common opponents of BJ Penn Diego Sanchez 27 and 8 in his MMA career versus Jim Miller at 25 and 7. DraftKings salaries have Sanchez as a underdog slightly 9400 is the price tag. Miller at even 10K Vegas odds uh, have Miller as a 140 favorite versus Sanchez as 120. I personally understand and respect Jim Miller for his game and his grinderness, but I'm with you uh, in terms of why we can make a case for Diego Diego Sanchez here. So let's talk about that.
2: Uh, yeah, I am. I am when back when before Jim Miller, you know, started fading and struggling, no one, you know, I was higher on Jim Miller than most other people, and it it has strictly gotten to the point where Jim Miller is essentially um, a ground specialist at this point in his career. Right. He he will you know he he has more than enough. You know, more than enough ground skills to submit you. But he's just, he isn't, Jim Miller's is not going to beat you in, you know, not beat you in a slugfest these days. And, you know, you have to keep in mind Diego Sanchez, who is another guy, tough as nails. You know, beloved by fans everywhere for his fighting style. And, you know, this is, I've seen nothing, absolutely nothing from Jim Miller for the last year and a half maybe two years to make you think that he should be favored over anyone other than guys who you would look at and say okay well that guy's just roster depth and nothing else right and they're, think- they're they're just he just he his his game is so one-dimensional these days that it's hard to pick miller so i think sanchez is a good value play as an underdog and you know, if nothing else, you know, Diego is going to come out firing and, you know, maybe he catches a, you know, a huge shot and can end the fight early.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there as well, and it's very reasonable for Diego Sanchez at 9,400 if you want to bank your odds in a, in, in, a, in a slight underdog in that camp. For Jim Miller, for me, he's like the quintessential grinder, and I can understand why you, you had some love for him overall because he's a guy who did everything absolutely right and perfect, you know on point with the nutrition the diet the training camp maximized his talent to the you know 11th degree and it just turned out to be just not good enough to be i think at one point he was ranked number two in the in the division and he was sort of on the cusp of being a potential uh you know championship fight candidate but never could pull himself over the hump he didn't really just have the top tier talent to like finish people in the first round or consistently um you know be the, the, the the dominant submission specialist uh that you know you knew if it got to the ground, the fight was close to being over. Has always had, you know, great talent, and uh, sort of remind people me to of like Matt Brown's in some sense, you know, except for Matt Brown actually has like crazy, you know, ridiculous knockout power, and a, and and a ridiculous chin. But you know, a sort of a, a great uh, guy overall, where you knew there was a lot of talent there, but maybe not talent to, to uh, you know put a strap around his waist. So. Um, uh, in agreement with the, you with uh, on Sanchez as well. Two more fights to cover here. Lightweight division. Justin Salas twelve and six versus Jason Sago at ten and two. DraftKings salary have Sal uh, Salas at nine K versus Sago at uh, ten point four. Odds plus one seventy five for Salas Sago minus two ten. I think you and I both agree we can go with Sago here.
2: Yeah, I do. And I, you know, I don't, I don't think it's going to be particularly pretty. Jason Sago is a guy who does. He's a wrestler, you know. Kind of, he's. He earns his wins based on the fact that he, you know, picks up a lot of, you know, top position control time and, you know, grinds his way to wins by, you know, just taking his opponents down and, you know, staying on top. So, you know, I I definitely like Sago and I actually at, at, you know, 10,400, you know, that's not a crippling salary. The only problem is that he's a guy who, when he wins, he tends to rack up wins via decision. So that makes him a bit of a risk for people who are looking for an early stoppage.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there as well. And, um, you know, not a terribly uh, fight that uh, I'm going well, like out of my way to roster one guy or the other. Uh, you know, so uh, you know, pick Sago if you'd like. I think it makes sense, and he could be a, a guy that, uh, you know, helps helps you on your lineup, but I don't know if I'd necessarily want to pay 10.4. I don't think it's a bad <laughs> price. It's just...
2: Now, think- we've talked about this before as far as... The guys who fight at the end of these, at the end of the cards, it's right. you know it, it's tough to yes. it's tough to take some of these guys.
1: We've seen plenty of it. Of those, you know, end up on one side or the other because of you know just the lack of resume and quality fights that they are able to display. A lot of some of these fights are not even on the prelims or fight pass fights. So um, last fight on tap here, we've got another women's fight, which we always love to pay. Uh, i t- um, sorry, um, another, um a fight that I think is going to be on Fight Pass, speaking of Fight Pass here. Julian Erosa, 15-3, and 3 versus Toruto Ishihara, 8-2-2. King salary for Erosa at 10.5, Ishihara at 8,900. Vegas odds have Erosa at minus 200 versus Ishihara at plus 170. Your pick here.
2: I, I took Erosa, and it's, you know, I don't have a, you know, ton of confidence in the pick. Uh, this is, this is, uh, you know, I openly admit, this is one of those fights where it's two guys who have, limited experience with the company. Uh, it, and, it, you know, in a, in these kind of fights, I pretty much don't roster, I wouldn't roster anyone, you know, either of these guys. I, and if I was ever to roster any of them for some reason, I would probably almost always take the underdog in these, you know, in these... You know, depth fights simply because they, I don't think any I don't think anyone has a clear you know advantage in these kind of fights. So that's why you get when you see the fights at the end of all these cards, you see fights where the salaries tend to be fairly close because it's guys who there's just not much experience. You know, we've seen Conor McGregor and Nick Diaz uh, and um, Nate Diaz fight a hundred times. You know, everybody knows the game of Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz, so you can. You can comfortably put a salary and the Vegas odds on those kind of guys. These kind of fights are just—they're just hard to pick.
1: I, I agree with you, a hundred percent as well. It's another fight that where it's at the very bottom of the card that I just almost never have any exposure to because there's just not enough confidence and enough tape that I've seen you know, in these fights to sort of say I—I have a great understanding of what, of, uh, you know, where to go one way or another. If you're one of those guys, you're related to, you know, Arosa or something like that, then you know, hats off to you for that, but. Uh, another fight that I'll probably be fading in my in my DraftKings lineup. And that's gonna wrap it up for have Uf- UFC in one ninety six in today's show. Don't forget you can check out John on Twitter at John Littering, check me out on Twitter at Josh Hayes FS and it's at RotoWire and uh the Rotowire DFS podcast uh, available on iTunes and Stitcher for your download convenience. We recently uh, updated our podcast servers, so uh, if you haven't uh, re- uh, checked out our show lately, make sure you um, refresh your your subscription. You can just simply unsubscribe and resubscribe, and that will get you right back into the mix with all the latest DFS content that we have available in the Rotowire DFS podcast available on iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks for uh, listening. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to check out John's articles on Rotowire.com under the MMA section, and we'll see you next time.